Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner. And today we want to take a look for our care plan discussion on tonsillectomy and adduinectomy. Basically, this is where the surgeon is going to remove exactly what it says, uh, the tonsils and the adenoids. Uh, it can be done either in a pediatric population or adults. Typically, we see it more in the pediatric population. So we're going to shift our talk more so toward the peds today. But just keep in mind that this is really for anybody. Pretty much the rundown of this procedure, it's a very quick, usually under 30-minute procedure where uh, we'll do a general anesthetic plan still do a regular ET tube. Sometimes you can do some variations. We'll talk about it here in a second. The surgeon's just going to remove those tonsils and adenoids in less than a half hour. And it's a very quick on with the gas, quick off. And that really is all there is to it. So Tanner, you just want to go into the positioning, some of the things we should look out for prior to starting the procedure? So some things that you want to look at preoperatively when you're assessing this patient is you're going to want to know if they've had any history of complications with anesthesia. Many times this is the first anesthetic that this child will be getting. And so just check with family history and try to get some information there to see if anybody in the family has had issues with anesthesia in the past. Check for their teeth, make sure that they don't have any loose teeth, just get a good idea of what their dentition looks like. Typically, these children from ages 5 to 12, you'll see a lot of kids losing their teeth, and so this is just something to keep in mind. Again, make sure that you're looking at upper respiratory infection. When was the last time that they had one? How frequently are they having these uh, high-risk patients would be people that are uh, under five years old. If they have a reactive airway disease, something like asthma, or if they live in a home where there's smoking, if they have a lot of nasal congestion, um, those are all things that you'll want to ask about and make sure you have a really good baseline before proceeding with surgery. As far as pre-medication, you can give them Versed preoperatively, typically 0.5 milligrams per kilogram PO, or you could give Tylenol as well PO. That's typically 10 milligrams per kilogram. When you get into the room, again, if this is a very young child, you'll typically do an inhalational induction. If they're older, usually around the age of 10 or so, or sometimes you know a little bit younger, if they're able to tolerate having an IV place, then you can do an IV induction and just from the get-go. But regardless, after you do your induction, you will intubate this patient. You need to have good communication with the surgeon where they want the tube taped. Sometimes they don't even want the tube taped because they're going to place a device called a Boyle Davis device that is going to basically go right around the tube so they can have a good visual field there as they're doing their procedure. After you intubate, you are generally going to rotate the table so you'll disconnect your circuit, make sure that your tube is secured as you move. And then from there, the surgeon can kind of manipulate the tube as they would like. They'll disconnect while they place this device and then they'll reconnect the circuit, obviously. And then you can continue your general anesthetic as you normally would. Again, just keep in mind that this sometimes is not secured like you would typically have your ET tube secured. Right. So as Tanner said, uh, if we're going to do an inhalational induction on these younger patients, if they are pleasant and cooperative when they come in the operating room, ideally you want to hook them up to their monitors, put upper cordial, set the scope on them, be all ready to go before we start the inhalational induction. But 
obviously that's not the case 100% of the time. We don't have that ideal cooperative patient. So we may need to uh, go ahead and put the mask on the younger patients that are not cooperating and basically just put them to sleep. It's not the most pleasant if you've been through it before is just putting a mask on a child like that. But in all honesty, it seems to be the best way to just um, put it on, have them take those quick two breaths as they're crying, and then everything relaxes from there, and then you can quick hook up your monitors. But ideally, we would get the patient hooked up to the monitors prior to starting our inhalational induction, have that circuit primed 8% uh, SIBO if you're using SIBO. Um, That's typically what we use for this, at least in my experience, and um, have that ready to go while you're hooking them up to their monitors, and then that way when you place the mask on, you're not waiting for that gas to prime through the circuit. It's already there, ready to go. A couple of breaths and they're out. Uh, at that point, you want to get the IV placed. Different practitioners vary on this. Once you have the IV placed, you can, as Tanner said, give a little bit lower dose of narcotic. You can just give some propofol, usually a little bit higher dose in the pediatric population, more like two to three milligrams per kilogram, uh, just because their metabolism is so much higher in this standpoint. And you want to have that gas cranked because uh, their MAC is going to be so much higher the younger they are. Uh, go ahead and get the the tube in place. If you haven't listened to our pediatric talk, I encourage you to go do so. We talk about sizing of ET tubes and different blades and stuff in that talk. But basically, you go through a regular induction at this point, uh, get the patient to sleep. Once they get back breathing again, uh, this is when a lot of people will start to work in their narcotic if they have not done so already. Another thing that I've really been doing lately is starting to work in some Presidex right when they come into the room we get that IV placed. If they have an IV already, go ahead and work that in. But if not, once I have them inhalationally induced and they fall asleep and we get the IV in, uh, giving like a half to up to one uh, microgram per kilogram of Presidex, and that seems to help even with the wake-up phase. They seem to wake up a lot better with that. Um, if they are older and they can tolerate that IV, it's just a standard induction. There's really no changes to it. Uh, some people will have you go ahead and tape the tube down across the chin, as Tanner was kind of talking about. Otherwise, when they put that device in to spread the mouth, the surgeon will kind of manipulate the tube as he or she wishes at that point. In terms of the monitoring phase, the younger they are, the higher the MAC they're going to be. This is just on a patient-by-patient basis. Uh, typically, younger kids under the age of five or seven, we're using Taya's. I start at 8% on my induction of SIVO, and then I back it off to four, three, somewhere in that range. And then uh, once I see the first tonsil being removed, it's kind of my key to start backing off on my gas because the second one is pretty close to follow. It's a pretty fast procedure, and then you're ready to go and turn off your gas after that second one is out. Because it almost takes, if you wait till the end to turn off your gas, it almost takes as long to wake up as it is to do the procedure itself. So just keep that in mind. If you're in a room that's doing these back-to-back-to-back with high turnover, you really want to be focusing on making sure your gas is being titrated off as the procedure goes on. All right. So now that we're through the maintenance portion, like Cole said, after that first tonsil comes out, turn down your gas. After that second one, you can turn off your gas completely. Now we're in the emergence phase. And so that next tonsil will come out pretty quickly. They'll take that device out. They'll disconnect, turn the patient back. And so now you'll reconnect your circuit and you're just waiting for the patient to wake up. Your gas should be breathed off pretty quickly. Things that you're going to want to really look at here is their risk for laryngospasm. Also with these kids, you'll see them go through stage two. And so this is where they kind of start to seem like they're waking up. They'll start to squirm, move their head back and forth. And then you'll kind of see them 
honestly go back to being more somnolent and comfortable. And this is as they're progressing through that stage two. If you look at their pupils, their pupils are not going to be correlated. And you'll know here with a little bit of gas on that they're still going through that stage two. This is where you're really, really at risk for laryngospasm. If you would try to pull that tube, they don't have control over their reflexes yet. And at this point, if you stimulate those vocal cords, you're at risk for those slamming shut. And then you're really in a bad scenario. At this point, you need to know kind of your steps for what you would do. Typically, you'll have succinylcholine on hand. You can give this IM or IV. Really, literature is showing now that instead of going right to sucks, giving a dose of propofol push sometimes is enough with positive pressure to break this laryngospasm. So this is important that you have this in mind as you go through the emergence phase, that you just have your steps lined up for managing the laryngospasm. And that brings up a good point with the pediatric patients that we're going to be doing these cases on. Make sure that you have calculated ahead of time what your emergency drug doses are. I usually have a syringe ready for robinol, atropine, epi, my succinylcholine, and then I have written out on tape my dose already calculated, not just the milligrams that I need, but also the cc's that I need based on the concentration of the vial at the facility I'm at. So I have those already ready to go, written out on a piece of tape, calculated based on the dose. Go look at our pediatric discussion to go through some of those things. But just make sure that is ready in case emergencies do arise, especially in the pediatric population. It's not something that we should take lightly. Uh, when things do arise, we should be ready to go for it. The other thing you want to think about with your emergence is risk for PONV. A lot of times these patients will have swallowed a lot of blood during this procedure. And so you can actually give an OG to the surgeon before they're done doing their procedure. And they can just drop that down and suck out the belly to make sure that there's not any blood down there that would make them at risk for nausea or vomiting. And then you'll just want to make sure you give your antiemetics your Decadron. Decadron will also be helpful for decreasing the swelling and the inflammation just around where the surgeon's working. So that'll be helpful both for the inflammation and then also for cutting down on the PONV. You can give your Zofran here at the end. And then again, just make sure that they are really well suctioned out. You also want to be careful that you're not causing any trauma. But then after you extubate, you'll want to pay attention, make sure that you're looking for signs of bleeding. If they're swallowing a lot, that'd be a sign that you might have some more bleeding and that they might want to take another look. So just keep that in mind. Hopefully that's helpful. This is going to be a very quick procedure. And by the time you get everything set up and you've gone through kind of all your steps for going through emergence and all that kind of thing, it's probably honestly going to take longer to set up this patient, get them induced and go through emergence than it actually will take for the surgeon to actually do the procedure. All that being said, you just need to be extra prepared because it is going to go so quickly that you need to have everything set up. You don't have time to kind of be fiddling around finding things. And so important that you're prepared and you know exactly what you can expect as you go through this procedure.